The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly made possible by Red Energy. They're powered by Snowy Hydro and a leader in renewable energy. Call their Melbourne-based team today on 131 806 for real Aussie energy. This is a story for me, Collie. What the Prime Minister knew and when he knew and when his staff knew and how much of a cover-up occurred. I mean, I feel that the heads are going to roll over this and, and definitely one ministerial head. Maybe there's a, an unwritten rule or maybe a spoken rule that the Prime Minister has said, don't bring that sort of stuff up to the top level because I can always then say with a completely hand on heart, I did not know. Um, this culture of don't tell me bad news, don't tell me stuff I don't need to know. I just don't get that. And that works in all areas of corporate and government life. My mother never let me think there wasn't a, a thing that I couldn't do in life. And, and I really thank her for that. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock to me when I sort of got to Canberra and saw that it wasn't really that way. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Welcome everyone to episode 161 of Don't Shoot the Messenger. In a moment, we will be playing a wonderful chat Carol and myself enjoyed a couple of weeks ago with journalist and friend Heather Hewitt of ABC Backroads. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago um, before Heather hit the road again to do some more filming, um, at, but this was the week before former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins came forward with her rape allegation. Caro and I would like you to keep this in mind when you listen to the interview with Heather. The three of us do talk about bad behaviour in Canberra. We talk about sexism in Canberra and we talk about the gender imbalance and gender balance challenges facing both parties. And it's very interesting, of course, because Heather's views come um, from her longtime Canberra Press Gallery career. So it's fascinating to hear. But as I said, there is no mention of the Brittany Higgins matter, nor the allegations of three other women against the same formal former Liberal Party employee. Caro, you and I wanted to discuss this very important story today, even though this week we are both on a bit of a mini break. How are you? I'm great, Corrie. Thank you for t- thank you for chiming in. I think it's important that we... we I loved our chat with Heather, but I think we... Um, have to just put it in a bit of context, and that's why we're having a chat now. I'm talking to you from beautiful, sunny Yamba, which is beautiful, and it is sunny. I'm looking forward to seeing you in person next week so we can deal with all the issues that have come up <laughs> since we last yeah, met. It's been, it's been a busy week, and it's so, typic- it's, so, it's so typical of you and I that we couldn't go a week without workshopping the big week's, you know, the, the week's big news story, of course, events in Canberra, as I said, following allegations of rape brought forward by the former government staffer, Brittany Higgins. There have been many extraordinary moments as this story unfolds, and there'll be many, many more to come, I have no doubt, in the next few weeks. But let's start with Scott Morrison's response to Brittany Higgins' interview last week when she was on Channel 10 and these allegations came forward into the public domain. And Scott Morrison's response at his media conference the next day, he's talking about his wife, Jenny, He said, Jenny and I spoke last night and she said to me, you have to think about this as a father first. What would you want to happen if it were our girls? And Mr. Morrison went on to say, Jenny has a way of clarifying things, always has. 
And so as I reflected on that overnight and listened to Brittany and what she had to say, I wondered what your response was to Scott Morrison's comments. Whenever a man references his wife, a man in a position of power, you know that he's in big trouble. That's what I thought. And you know that he's clutching at straws and pretty desperate. I mean, I, don't, I, I thought it was a really wrong rein to pull to reference it back to his daughter. I mean, he shouldn't have done it. I, th- I think it's any woman of any age at any time of any relationship. And I, I just think that when he tried to personalise it, he showed me that he's very worried. I mean, this is a story for me, Corrie. It's what the Prime Minister knew and when he knew and when his staff knew and how much of a cover-up occurred. I mean, I feel that the heads are going to roll over this and, and definitely one ministerial head... But I, I just think this could be incredibly damaging for the Prime Minister if it turns out, as so many former leaders and former Prime Ministers and obviously the opposition leader have said, um, it just seems inconceivable to them that the Prime Minister would not have been told about this, certainly not his senior staff. So I, I, that's what I thought when I heard him reference his wife. I just keep thinking about your comment in the interview we're about to hear. Um, your, one of your recent meetings with Louise Milligan, who broke those stories on Four Corners last year, involving senior Liberal ministers, including Christian Porter, and her saying to you not so long ago that this, that was the tip of the iceberg and there was big stuff to come. I wonder if this was what she was referring to. Well, look, possibly, uh, uh, probably. Um, it, it will be really interesting to speculate. see, you know, what... what 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 else sort of evolves, but just getting back to the prime minister's response uh, and and um, where the blame may lay and who knew what, isn't it interesting to think that if if the prime minister is correct and says you know I did not know about this, well my question then is who is who's making the decision to protect the prime minister from this kind of knowledge. And these are these. Brittany is uh, this week before we've recorded this, but on Wednesday she will be sitting down with federal police and stating her claim. And I imagine criminal charges will be pressed. I get. I gather that's the direction this will be going in. Who decided in the prime minister's office or in other ministers' offices that this was something that the prime minister did did not need to know? That's what I find so utterly staggering. First of all, that there are people who presume that the Prime Minister would not want to know, or maybe there's a, an unwritten rule or maybe a spoken rule that the Prime Minister has said, don't bring that sort of stuff up to the top level because I can always then say with a completely hand on heart, I did not know. Well, this um, this culture of don't tell me bad news, you know, don't tell me stuff I don't need to know, I just don't get that. And that works in all areas of corporate and government life. I don't understand why it didn't become a police matter when these are allegations, we must stress. But it it is amazing now that, you know, three more women have have come forward since um, Brittany made her initial allegations, or at least when they became public. I can't believe that she wasn't encouraged if, if, in fact, it was not entirely her decision. She was not encouraged to go to the police. And I think it should have been a police matter straight away. Surely that is what happens when an alleged rape occurs. So I, I wish she had. I feel terrible that this has been going on for so many years. And um, the 
the man involved we know has moved on to other positions. Um, there's some pretty murky stuff about him potentially returning or not returning. Um, we hear, as you and I talk today on a Tuesday morning, we hear that he might have checked himself into some form of facility. But um, as I said, it, it should have gone to the police straight away. And there is no doubt in my mind that at the very least, whether or not the allegations are proven, that a cover-up of some level occurred in a workplace that you would think would be the safest in Australia, or you would hope. Cara, Cara Prime Minister Scott Morrison has called for four separate inquiries. And, you know, good, that would be your first instinct, you know, well done, good, that's great. But my question is four, <laughs> four. I mean, old, old media strategists know full well that often a very clever way of watering down culpability or mismanagement or whatever it may be, you spread the muck up so widely that for, that people become confused. They become overwhelmed by the facts and timelines and witness statements and in the end they all start to tune out four separate inquiries i mean let's talk about confusing people i know there are so many unprecedented parts elements to this story and the, the minister involved breaking down in the upper house um asking to can he answer the question after the weekend which i, I don't think i've ever seen a politician do that before unable too emotional to respond. I mean, there's no doubt that this young woman, and again, we say whatever happened, and look, there are so many, it, it's interesting, the discussion points and what older women might say about a woman who finds herself in that position late at night or in the early hours of the morning, and women like us who are just horrified that it should happen to anyone, whatever state they're in, if, it, if in fact it did happen, and, and um, the allegations are, are pretty compelling and are very strong, um, it just seems inconceivable that the care towards her was so flimsy. It was just just awful to think that she wasn't looked after better after the allegations took place. Yeah, and what a brave woman she is now, and I hope she's she's receiving all the support that she needs. I don't know whether you saw uh, 7.30 last night, Cara, probably not because we're both on mini breaks, but I did happen to have the telly on, and I saw um, uh, the Labor Shadow Minister, Claire O'Neill, uh, on 7.30 talking with Lee Sales and she was talking about workplace culture in Parliament House. This was based on an article she wrote in The Guardian yesterday. But she did point out, and I think we should point out as well, there are many wonderful men who work at Parliament House uh, for both parties and many of these men do have healthy, collegial, productive working relationships and friendships with their female colleagues. Um, but as Claire O'Neill said, it's not inconceivable that good men get wrapped up a little bit in a culture where casual sexism is par for the course. And you and I have seen that, certainly working in newspapers over the years, perhaps not so much now, but certainly when you and I started, that there is a bit of that that can creep into the workplace and suddenly it becomes the norm, doesn't it? Yes, and, and the mention of good men is, you know, reminds me of that awful saying, the, the so true, that evil takes place when good people, or good men, stand by and do nothing. And how many yes. people knew about this culture and knew this stuff was going on or, in fact, knew about what happened that night to Brittany Higgins and didn't take the right steps to ensure that it was dealt with correctly? 
if in fact um, her allegations are true. Look, there's so much that we can discuss about this issue going forward and I know next week when we get together again in the studio that, you know, we'll we'll have lots more and there'll probably sadly be more statements and more stories and things that are really going to distress a lot of people and certainly shine the light on not just the federal government but how Parliament House itself operates. I did want to uh, just say thank you to Red Energy. Of course, they are the sponsors of our podcast and Prince Wine Store as well. Both of them make our podcast possible. And, Caro, just before we sign off from you and we and Miss Jane rolls the tape on our interview with Heather, how is the beautiful northern New South Wales coast? It's as beautiful as ever, Corrie. It's looking forward to seeing you, I hope, later in the year. Um, we arrived at the end of a... I've been raining, I think, for weeks on end, and there was predicted rain all week, but the weather's been stunning. The water's beautiful. You know, it's just a beautiful part of the world. We've been up to New Brighton to visit my my daughter Rose's future in-laws. We've had a gorgeous lunch with them at their little piece of paradise um, and met the wonderful Margot Anthony, who, in fact, um, Heather talks about in the podcast. Um, So, no, we've had a wonderful time. And yes, a lot of Tony would be enjoying all the cocktails we've been making. We have found a great new brand of gin. We've enjoyed some of Tony's special, um, special little additions. Um, the French 75 has been the preferred one. You know, my favourite one with my sister's favourite one, as you know, with the gin and the sparkling wine and the lemon. Absolutely wonderful. So yes, don't worry about me. I'm having a ball, and I'm. There's a lot to talk about when we get back next week. Facebook the royal baby, the late royal or not-so-royal baby, and um, plenty of other things besides. But you have a lovely week. Yeah, thanks, Caro, and uh, and love to all up there. And safe travels, happy holiday, and thank you, Miss Jane, for allowing Caro and I to have this chat, this pre-chat, before we go into our interview with Heather, which is coming up right now. Now, today, Potties, we're going to have our usual BSF segment, uh, but we have a very special guest. So, Carol and I have decided to throw the running sheet out the window, although we will be asking our special guest her recommendations for a book, a screen and a recipe. But before we get into uh, introducing our guest, I just wanted to say a big thank you on behalf of Carol and I to Red Energy, who are the supporters of our show, Red Energy, 100% Australian electricity and gas and also click for Vic. We just love the fact that so many people are getting onto their Victorian website and going click for Vic and looking at all of the wonderful producers and artisans around the state who are producing amazing stuff. And then of course Prince Wine Store, Caro. We don't have Tony with us this week in the cocktail cabinet but we love Prince Wine Store. We do. You've been. Sh- I'm looking at you because you've just bought another dozen bottles of wine the Rem- other day. Remember that beautiful um, B- um, bitters substitute, um, Campari substitute, the Tony let the us summer try. Cocktail. Yeah, yeah, the summer cocktail. We'll add a drop which, of which that. Which we had at 8am in the morning. Yes, which was which as part of a Negroni. But forget the Negroni, add a drop of that or Campari if you want to your gin and tonic. Our friend Tanya recommended that to me. That is a great summer drink. A gin and tonic with a drop of Campari or a drop of Tony's special Italian bitter drink, which had the blue label, which will come back to me. Absolutely delicious. Well, anyway. that, that's Prince Wine Store, everyone. So you can look in the show notes and have a have a um, nice look at their, an enjoyable look at their website. Caro, 
Without further ado, as they say in the classics, I would like to introduce to our potties a very dear friend of yours and mine, um, Heather Hewitt of the ABC. You have been Heather Hewitt of the ABC for years. I'm not going to say years and years, Heather, but An you, eternity are, you, are, you are part of our <laughs> living rooms. You are part of our news diet, our culture. I might it's, have been around for too long. It's so <laughs> lovely to have you. You've been a correspondent internationally. You've worked in Canberra. And now, of course, you are the host of the most fabulous series, Backroads. It's lovely to have you. Welcome it's to Don't Shoot to the Messenger. Be here, girls. Thank you for having me. We wanted to have you on, Heather, because we're, we're big fans of the show. We love Backroads. It premiered again this year on February the 4th with a wonderful episode about the central New South Wales town of Cobar. We're going to talk. Love Cobar. Yeah, well, we're going to talk to you about the show and the logistical issues you must have had in making this series. But Thursday nights, ABC. Um, you can catch up on the Cobar episode if you didn't see it on ABC iView. Corrie, I've got a lot to thank Heather for for many reasons, but one of them is that the show I've been working on for the longest of all the shows I've been working on on television, The Insiders, The Offsiders, I should say, which was a spin off of The Insiders, was your idea wasn't it? You and Barry Cassidy, your partner, were overseas in Europe somewhere. Is this true when you were in a pub or a bar and you sat there and had the idea for this show? Yeah, we were, we were with you, mates. Um, Michael Bowers included, who, who oh, really? the great yeah. photographer who still yep. does the, the Peter Bowers' son cartoon yes. section. That's right. Yep. All chewing the fat. And uh, it, it just sort of took off from there. Amazing, really. Who would have thought? It's still be going 20 years later. Unbelievable, unbelievable yeah. idea. And Offsiders is so good that happened. Yeah, well, on to their third hosting, Kelly Underwood, who's fantastic. Yep. Barry, of course. Barry used to wear a jacket for Insiders, Corrie, and then he'd literally cross studios and take off the jacket <laughs> and talk about sport annoyingly as as well as any sports commentator ever, and it wasn't even really his main gig. But, um, but do you so- know he wanted that to be a show that, that women could enjoy as well? That was that was one of the motivating factors. Oh. Now, just broaden the appeal of sport because there were so many just blokey shows out there. It's such That's a, all there was. Such a labour of love. But yeah, that, that you, you had that idea um, over a few drinks in Europe somewhere. How did Backroads come about? Well, it wasn't actually over a few drinks somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, <laughs> um, no. Look, that came about because I'd, I'd made a documentary on the history of the National Party. So I'd taken some leave from my role as uh, doing politics, really, at, at seven thirty, the ABC show seven thirty, to put together this documentary, um, which took about a year. And my concern was that there were so many great old characters uh, in the National Party, as in the Doug Anthony's, Peter Nixon. Uh, former leaders who who were real stalwarts in my day when Ian, I started Ian in Canberra, Ian Sinclair, mm-hmm. Sinkers, um, yeah, they were they were tough blokes, and I was keen to make sure that their stories were recorded. So that's how that started. But to make it sort of a bit more interesting, I did them all in their farms, and I did country towns and CWA meetings and. Anyway, look, it went really well, surprisingly, with city audiences especially, um, who I think were seeing a slice of Australia that they thought no longer existed, when in fact it did. It was a brilliant, uh, I knew it was, that. It was a brilliant show, I remember it. Oh, well. thank you. Yeah. I'm glad you remember it. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, because of that sort of feedback, I got a call from the then managing director of the ABC, Mark Scott, to say, would you like to come up with some other idea about 
the country, a show about the country. And I sort of thought, well, what the hell does that mean? I think I might have said those words to him myself. And he said, anything, just come up with anything. <laughs> as long as it doesn't look like Landline, which is such a fabulous ABC show that's been going forever. And anyway, I put together sort of a small team and we and we chewed the fat and and we came up with, with back roads. And I think for me that the driving force was I started thinking about how I grew up, which was in a country town or on a farm near a country town in Victoria. And Which I we've of, read all about in Country Style. You're, oh, you're, have you're you? Star Don't of, tell me you read Country Style. It's, it's our favourite magazine. <laughs> I love it too. It's <laughs> such a great it. magazine. And you, you starred in <clears throat> several editions of that. They're very kind to me. Yeah, yeah. so I, I grew up on this farm near Murchison and I started thinking about all the characters that I, I knew. You know, my old man was one of them and, and uncles and my mother was a sort of stalwart in the community. And I thought, well, if that's like it is in my area, it must be like that everywhere in Australia, really, if you go looking. And and that's kind of how it happened. And it just snowballed from there. Um, didn't really get a lot of support from the program makers in head office in Sydney at the time, because their attitude kind of was, well, I felt this was being foisted upon them by the board and the managing director at the time. And they sort of, their view was, well, who on earth would want to watch a show about why people live in these dumps, really? Um and so I felt under a lot of pressure for it to succeed. Um, I was given a special budget by the managing director, but it was a one-off thing. Um, and so it, it was just such a massive relief, really, when it was incredibly successful. What was your um, first town, Heather? The first town we put to air was Sejuna oh. in South Australia. Um, and oh, some marvellous characters there, you know, oyster growers, great fella called Kiwi. The, the lovely thing about back roads, I think, is that I, I still t- stay in touch with a lot of the people that I've yep. I've come across, and it's great that they keep on filling me in on what's happening in their in their lives. You know, I still feel very connected to them and their towns. You've done some, I mean, you've done some wonderful stories on the seven thirty report too about country towns and country towns and their issues with gambling and closures. So, uh, is that something that you think will continue? Now, this will be one of your main gigs for. Oh yeah, well, you'd be mad to give up back roads. Oh, I just—it's—it's it, <laughs> it's the best thing I've ever done. I've got so much pleasure out of it. It's such a great idea, and it's—you've got the production is incredible. I mean, the the yeah. opening show of this year, Coba. When I love that shot when you pull up at the lights with the two guys in the car. Oh, that was so side. funny. The Hoons of town. The Hoons, because it, it, it's famous for that film Running on Empty, which was made. Which, what it, which yours and my friend Deb Conway stars yes. in with Terry Serio. I did I not. Realize I remember this. seeing that at the time. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And not, um, not a not a great film, I have to say. No, no. Well, it's produced a great festival in Cobar as a with, result. With so that, I was cares, so amazed. I was so amazed to see that on your show. Yeah, oh, lo- they were fun. I love the character. Who was the main character you interviewed in the show? Who winks at you? The setup of you know when you're revving each other at the traffic lights, and he winks at you, and then you end up, of course, interviewing him. He becomes one of your friends. I can't remember his name in Cobar, but um, I. I love the way you find these characters. There must be a lot of pre-production. Oh, look, we, you, you can't do just a lot sort of, of land in a of land course, and, and go course. to the pub and say, okay, so where are the local eccentrics? Yeah, look, the real reason we, we focused on Cobar, apart from the fact, as our first episode, apart from the fact that I've driven through Cobar a number of ta- times and always felt it like really an interesting place, is that it has this incredible mayor, Lillian Brady, 90 years old. Yeah. And that had always fascinated me. And I'd always thought one day we've got to get to Cobar and make her the central character, which she, of course she was. Yeah. She will not. 
she will Tough. not give up on this town. And I'm so happy to, because you obviously filmed it last year, I'm assuming. Late we last we filmed year. it during COVID, actually. Yeah. Um, right. It was one of the towns, because I'd, I'd bolted from Victoria, because uh, we've got a house, beach house on the New South Wales South Coast for 40 years. Um, and so we, we left and headed up there, not, not knowing that we wouldn't be back for the rest of the year, because Victoria had, of course, the two lockdowns. But what that also meant was that I could keep filming in New South Wales. And so Cobar was one of the New South Wales towns that me and a, and a cameraman, freelance cameraman who also left Melbourne and went to the South Coast where his family lived, we could we could travel all around the So how, the how, how Borley Point is a, a beautiful part of the world. I have it sure a friend is. from not far away in South Rosedale. And Which had, is also gorgeous. We've had some great book club were weekends. You, were, you, yeah. were you affected by the bushfires of last summer? Yes, yes. Oh, everywhere along the South Coast was. It was a terrible time. But but how was how was living there last year? It must have been oh, fantastic. it was great. Well, we already thought we were one of the locals because we we had the place there for forty years from the days when yep. we used to work in the Canberra Press Gallery. Uh, that's when we bought it, um, and we thought we were locals. But we realised that it's not until you live there all year round that you're really considered a local. So um, we were, we were part of the gang and really enjoyed it. And seeing all the different seasons, you know, we usually we're there for the summer or you know. Easter the old or weekend. school holidays, yeah. yeah. But no, it was it was a really great experience. We were very very fortunate, especially when we were hearing stories from our family back in Melbourne about what they were going through. And you were able to make back roads, which is and we could keep on making back roads. So. Well, Heather, last last week's episode with Poe, the wonderful chef in South Australia, she's in Sa- yeah, she's in South Australia, and yep. she gets sent off to Cooperpedia and does a terrific report from there. That was actually quite clever of you guys to work out. Well, if Heather's going to be pretty much centred in New South Wales until, well, we didn't know what date you'd be allowed to travel beyond the borders. No, but to bring, it was... to bring Poe in as, as a kind of an assistant. Yeah, it was <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, and we, and we knew that uh, we had ABC crews who, who would be able to work with Poe. Uh, she'd worked with them before doing her cooking show, so that's how that eventuated. Um, I, I got up to Kyogle in New South Wales, right near the border of Queensland, to, to film there, thinking that we would then get across the border into, into Queensland. But, of course, while we were there... The Queensland borders slammed shut. So then we had to think of other people, you know, to, who could help us out in, in Queensland. So we've used a wonderful um, landline reporter there to, to do an episode on Cloncurry. Um, so we, we sort of improvised as we went. But I managed to get up to the Northern Territory as well during COVID, which was fantastic, to Adelaide River, um, do a buffalo muster there. Never done oh. one of those before. What an experience a that buffalo was. Muster. A buffalo muster. A buffalo muster, Wow. Look, that sounds so Kevin Costner. Uh, what was that shocking film that he won an Academy? Did he win an Academy Award for? You know, with oh, the I buffaloes. Oh, know. yeah, yes, Dancers Dancers with Wolves. Dancing with Wolves. No, oh, with gosh, wolves. that's right. Oh, oh gosh, I hate it. I, I more think about the misfits <laughs> of Clark Gable and Marilyn Monroe. But I want to ask you about Kyogle because that brings me to the north coast of New South Wales, one of my favourite parts of Australia. The, in the Tweed, tw- the beautiful. Tweed Just been there. Yeah, well, well you, you were the MC at Doug Anthony's memorial, the state yes. memorial for yeah. Doug Anthony. Wonderful and, service. Well, it was a service close to my heart because my future son-in-law, Oscar Hedstrom, read, read that beautiful poem from Amsterdam. I know, so I later found out. Yes, Caro. where he's expecting my first grandchild with my daughter Which is Rose. So exciting! And and Jane Hedstrom spoke so beautifully. Oh, Jane, didn't she? Doug's daughter, and um, we've been texting about you, and she loved meeting you, and she said she'd only met you, I think, the Wednesday before, but feels like you're close friends. But yes, we shared a table afterwards. Well, lovely lunch. Well, they're, they're such a lovely family. Oh, fabulous family. 
Yep. And so how did it come about that you emceed the memorial? Did they ask Well, you to I do actually, it? when I first went to Canberra as a young, <clears throat> excuse me, as a young country girl, um, so young when I think back, I think I was 23, uh, the press gallery then was just so male dominated. It, it was terrifying, really. Um, but one of my first gigs... The shadow of Laurie Oakes. That's right. <laughs> rested over all the entire well, gallery. Laurie was always very good to me. He was one of the better ones, but <laughs> you couldn't put them all in that category, I tell you. But anyway, um, I, was, uh, I was given the gig of travelling with Doug Anthony. Uh, and he was heading up to North Queensland, but it was going to be all all men on the on the plane, and and I was quite um, overwhelmed really about whether I'd be any good at this. And anyway, the, the the lovely thing was that that Doug just treated me absolutely as an equal. It didn't matter that I was a newcomer and I hadn't been around forever like the boys on the plane, and I've never ever forgotten that. Mm. And then I got to to travel on a couple of election campaigns with him, and, and the Nats uh, in those days it was called the Wombat Trail. If you went travelling on the election campaign, <laughs> various reasons for this. Nobody can really agree on what, why that term began, but uh, that's when I first met Margot as well, and um, they were just very, very good to me. And so years later, of course, I got to see them again when I went back to make the the documentary, um, and it was just lovely to catch up. and And I sort of stayed in touch after that. So I was I was really honoured when Margot rang me. To ask yeah. if I'd like to be MC, it, it was pretty it special. It doesn't surprise you me. Did, this you sen- did a great job. It doesn't surprise me this sense of equality in the bush, because we hear all the time from our listeners who we have a lot of potties who live in the bush on farms and so on, Heather, or in mm. country towns, and they share their experiences with us, and also country folk that Carol and I know. The women are it's equal. It's it's let's get the farm going. Let's all work together. Let's work side by side. Sometimes the women will have a job in town somewhere, but mm. more often than not they're working on the farm as well, doing doing the jobs well, of the blokes. To, to keep it going too. But certainly, um my mother never let me think there wasn't a, a thing that I couldn't do in life. And and I really thank her for that. Uh, so it was a bit of a shock to me when I sort of got to Canberra and th- saw that it wasn't really that way. Um, in those in those days, that you, was back in 1980. Miss, do you miss politics? Covering politics, the cut and oh, thrust? sometimes I do. I always take an interest. Yeah, like even being back at Doug's funeral, it, it was uh, a memorial service, I should say. Um, it was interesting to catch up with 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 all the old boys who'd led the party over the years, and I thought, oh gosh, I remember you know dealing with them, interviewing them about this, this, and that. Did, so, did Peter great Nixon, experience Peter Nixon, who hadn't been well, did he make no, it? Peter no, Peter didn't make it, but I did. He's sadly, a great friend of my father's through the yes, oh, I, club connection. He's such a lovely man. Oh yes, I. Oh, whenever we're driving up to Borley Point along the coast road from Melbourne, we always stop and have dinner with Peter at the Marlow Pub. Oh, His favourite watering hole, I think. I love that pub. Been to that pub. It's a river pub, snowy river meets the sea. That's right. And the wonderful outdoor deck now. So we always try and meet Peter there and and whatever family members he might have visiting. Um, So I knew that Peter wasn't going to make it. We spoke on the phone and and I got to read out the words that he'd he'd penned, which Which, were beautiful. Which were were lovely. And Ian Sinclair I saw there and John Howard obviously spoke. Yes, yes. Scott Morrison. I mean, everybody came. And and the... but the art story, Corrie, and I've spoken to you about the Tweed Gallery, which I'd been to before it's stunning. Oscar had become a part of our family. Oh. So this is the one that Doug, Doug we, Anthony 
donated or yeah. donated well, a collection or a building land. or the land? Or? Well, it, it's on their land and, and, and it's in this spectacular spot and, and the Margaret Ollie Centre, which is there, is just beautiful. And yes, yes. And and Margot was very instrumental and uh, Doug's wife Margot was instrumental in helping settle that up. I, I popped in to have a look at it, actually, um, the day after the memorial service. It's just so worth a visit. It is, And it? I've heard that it's actually one of the most visited regional galleries in the country and yep. I can really see why. Oh, I can feel a new well, back, back uh, roads uh, episode coming. Corey, I might have to think of somewhere else. Our friend there. Jenny Smith sent me there for the first time, and I was blown away by this. The, well, the drive there is enough, you know. Just getting there from the coast is yes, is so yes. beautiful. But the but she was, you know, Margaret Ollie was was arguably our, our best known, you know, painter of still life. Yeah. And and to actually where where she lived in Paddington in her terrace house, they've actually moved her living room, everything in that house has moved up to the gallery exactly as it was. She was right quite, she was was quite messy. Benches. She was quite messy, the old Margaret. Oh, oh it's, it's a, a that, work that, that of comes to see across. how they moved it. That comes across. <laughs> I love the story about her actually going there for the first time in Russell Crowe's private plane. I'm not sure oh, how yeah, that came Oh, yeah, she got the taste about. of it. Yeah, yeah, then she wanted to travel everywhere in Russell Crowe's <laughs> private plane. That came out at the service. <laughs> um, can I get, getting back to Canberra, because it is interesting, do, do you think it's changed at all for women? How, how much has it changed for women in the media, do you think? A subject close uh, to all look, of our hearts. Look, you would like to say that it has changed for women in the media, wouldn't you? And I guess in some ways it has. And certainly there are more women in the media in the press gallery than, than when I was there. But I think women always have to be vigilant. Um, you know, it's, it's very easy to think you've won a battle and that things are fairer. Uh, and that's the way it will stay. But we, we all know that's not really the case. You know, you let your guard down for a minute and and people sink back into bad old habits, don't they? Um, it, yep. it strikes me. Um, I think there was a period um, in the late 90s uh, when feminism became a, a you know, a, a dirty word, really, for young women growing up. You know, they'd, they'd proudly declare they weren't a feminist. Um, and I guess that was because they thought, women of our generation had already done all the hard yards and what the hell were we talking about? But the fact is, um, I think things did start to slip a bit. That Things did just start to go backwards uh, when yeah. that was the, I th- the sentiment. I think, I think vigilant is a really good <clears throat> yeah, word. Yeah, and, and you've just got to assume that you've always got to keep on your guard. I mean, I can pick sexism a, a million miles off, I tell you. And, and I think with, with some blokes, it's never that that far below the surface, to surface be, depending on how they've been gr- brought up or well, that, you know, what they've saying been exposed to. Sc- scratch a new man and you find an old man underneath well, sometimes. And, and look, look at the Donald Trump era in America. That just sort of showed you how easy it is for these, in, in a country like America, for these sort of sentiments to rise up and, and get prominence. Your colleague Louise Milligan at the ABC did a fantastic report, uh, as Carol and I have talked about on the podcast last at the end of last year, regarding bad behaviour toward women within the Liberal Party federally. Mm. And um, a couple of weeks later, Louise was in the shop, actually, the bookshop, and we were talking about it. And I said, oh, so what impact has it had? And, you know, in terms of other people coming forward, is it a bit like the hashtag Me Too situation in America where one person's brave enough to talk and then everybody come? And she said, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You wait. Mm. And I think she must be working on a second part to that, which was which is kind of... Um, Sad, isn't it? It's sad that it's it, it, we were just scratching the ice, the tip of the iceberg with that story, that it's so prevalent in the, in that particular party. And I imagine the Labor Party has a few skeletons in closets too. Oh, sure. I, I guess the difference with the Labor Party, though, is that they have 
made more of an effort to to ensure that there is greater representation of women. Oh, but the weight of numbers shows. In, that by they the have. weight of numbers, yep. that's right. Now the Liberal Party has always argued that well, we'll just you know let it, this evolve. We're not going to enforce numbers on anyone. Um, there's always Pro- been an argument through, about through this. But, yeah. but if you yes, mm. that's right. But but if you look at the numbers, uh, you can see which party has a has a more even balance. Now I, I don't know if we'll ever see that in in any time soon in the Conservative parties because of the position they've taken on that. But but certainly I think if you have a gender balance, it's a start. It is a start. It's a start. I, I would love to swing you over the over the Pacific to the States. You and Barry, of course, spent a lot of time in Washington. Mm. And at this time, as we're speaking, there are all sorts of extraordinary things happening in the US. And um, we have a new president. We have a pre- an old president who refuses to go quietly. And we have an increasingly menacing right-wing militant faction there. Mm. What are they going to do? With that, yes. So I just, um, I just wondered what you like the, the the events of the past month. Is there some way that you can sort of encapsulate how, the impact that's had on you, where you think it's going? Oh, it, it makes me very sad um, because really, um, being a foreign correspondent for the ABC in Washington was one of the great experiences of my life, um, and that was in the period. Well, I, I actually had a couple of stints there. I was first there for radio for a while in 1988. But the the longest period was from 1990, um, when George Bush Senior was still president, and Bill Clinton got in after that, and it was a really exciting time. Um, had a fabulous um, apartment in the heart of town, made great friends. Um, it was an exciting place to be. You really felt you were, you know, in the centre of the universe in a way. Um, but that's not the case now. I mean, it's not a place that I would want to live in. Anymore, and and I find that very sad, especially for the the friends that I still stay in touch with, who worry enormously about their country. They must be mortified if they're living in Washington. They must be mortified by events of the past couple of weeks. Oh yeah, and they're not just living in Washington. It's it's all around the place. All all sort of devastated by what's happened. And I think yeah, the final straw really was that that terrible you know attack on on the Congress building. Like I think that that was absolutely shocking, shocking. Yeah. To many Americans, and and I think that's probably also been a wake up call about what they've got to deal with in in, in well, it's, these it's months all, ahead. Because what, a, what do you do about people like it's this? It's always been a country divided, though. This is what we forget. Yep. It's either yep. being black versus white, south versus north, men versus women, um, poor versus rich, country versus city. It's, of course, it's had of course, such and look, divisions. That's right, and and you could say that about many countries, but but particularly America because it's so enormous. Um, but I guess what is different about the Trump era is the is the the flagrant just ignoring the institutions that that both parties have always stood by, um, and that that is I think that's really caused enormous rifts, really, you know, deepened the rifts in the country. And and I I think Joe Biden, luck to him, he's got a, he's just got a massive massive job ahead of, ahead of him with his with his vice president. Look, it could be worse. He could have. Trump could have won again. I mean, he he got well, that close, would have really been the end, wouldn't it? Yeah, it, I think it would have been. And and you're right about he didn't America. get that close in the end. Like it was a decisive no, victory. It, uh, it was no. it was a bit touch and go for some people. I think. Oh, I tell you, while, I was but... having I was having kittens there for about two days. <laughs> As Carol and Jane remember, I was just glued to CNN. Just. Uh, you know, was I was like listening to my husband game. who fancies himself on counting, being able to count political numbers well, and actually he's pretty good at it. So <laughs> yeah. that calmed me down. <laughs> well, speaking, speaking of numbers, do you think Anthony Albanese will lead Labor to the next election? And 
Has he got a chance of winning? I'm not going there, Caro. Oh, come on, Heather. <laughs> How would you know with politics these no. days, honestly? And and, and, and you'd be a fool to try and predict I, I anything agree that happens. That. Given the past decade that we've had, which has been like a roller coaster, that, <laughs> that's probably true. people would I like tell, a little bit of calm. I tell you what, if you were Scott Morrison, though, you'd be planning to hold that election as soon as you can, wouldn't you, if Elbow's in charge? Well, he look, y- y- things happen. Things change. You look at the past 12 months. We had the worst bushfires that we've ever had. When you would have thought that climate change would be the the talk on everyone's lips, Um, you know, Scott Morrison didn't handle that well in the beginning. Um, But then COVID comes along and and it just suddenly changes everything. I mean, we're living in pretty volatile times. I mean, and all of these sorts of events do affect how people view their politicians. So that's why I think given the past 12 months, you'd be a fool to predict anything on either side. Well, yes, it's, it's, it's surprising <coughs> when you hear people, when Corey and I talked about this when we first came back to do the show at the start of February, you know, disappointing summer weather-wise. How anyone could be disappointed by this summer oh, when you think about what last after summer After the was one like. before, like, all we could see was smoke in the air for, it was, for weeks. It was just... Down on the south coast, terrible. And and like even going back uh, recently, uh, before Christmas, I went back to visit Malakuta, where we filmed a, an episode once. And and the impact on the communities. I mean, sure, all the, the, the flora, the fauna's all regrowing the forests, but the people don't recover quite as quickly. Um, you know, the scars are, are deep. Um, so I, I just hope there's a bit more of a conversation about all of that. I'm relieved that it was the sort of season that it was, that there was no repeat of that. But but I do hope that lessons have been learned and, and that our politicians do revive that conversation that we were starting to have after after the bushfires, the terrible bushfires a year ago. You can understand why it disappeared, but it's it's really not good enough. It's not good enough. Heather, um, what, well, I'll fire a few at you, but what is your, this is an easier question than can labour. <laughs> Gee, thanks. Um, uh, <laughs> because we love Click for Vic and we've really supported it during COVID, do you have a favourite that you've visited in Victoria, a favourite town? On back roads, or do you have a? Can you nominate a place? Because you're you... doing Malakuta, aren't you? In, yes, um, which is done Malakuta. Well, yeah. I've got to nominate where I grew up. Don't know that region, or they'd never speak to me again. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. Tell us, tell us why. Tell us why we should go there. <laughs> well, um, in between Murchison and Agamby, you've got great wineries: Mitchelton to Bilk, Longleat. You, you know, do. people that I, I grew up with and or have known for many years running these, and and really, oh, there's the, the also the great winery Tellus um, at Dukey. Half an hour out of Shep, Shepparton, I should Pl- say. Plunkets is that another and one? Plunkets, yeah, it's not yep. called Plunkets anymore. Though. No, but, sorry. Yeah, it's but it's but it's all spot. in the same area, and the Goulburn River's great, and and the lake is where my mother was born and bred, and so for me, I guess I love this area because it, it it's home, but um, it's a vibrant, lively, lively sort of place if you if you look out for. Look out for good things to do. Gosh, how many rowing carnivals on the lake at Nagambi? Yes, we've spent a lot of time. How at many Nagambi. potato cakes have I devoured watching <laughs> oh. for seven hours? Well, it used Jordan to be the rowing regatta was on Boxing Day. There was a rowing regatta that God we used to all get dragged to when we were kids, um, right on the Nagambi Lake at Buckley Park, um, and that sort of disappeared. Um, but that used to be a great, great and how, how did you, Christmas. How did you find the community of Malakuta one year after the devastating bushfires? Oh, look, I, I love Malakuta. Um, and look, 
I must say, I've got so many soft spots for, for towns around Victoria, around the country, really. But Malakuta, they're, they're, a, they're a, a There's nowhere a like breed. it, is it? No, there's nowhere quite like yeah. it. I mean, apart from the fact that it's just physically beautiful, did you know it's also the most isolated town in Victoria? Yes. I didn't know that. Yeah. And it's up there listed definition of amongst, isolated? amongst the most remote towns in Australia. So definition of isolated. Um, well, geographically, because of the way you but get there. No, also um, how long it takes to get to a, your nearest town for medical treatment. Um, hospitals, all of that, it fits into that category. Yeah, you don't just sort of whiz down the, the, the freeway to... No, you don't. There's only anything, one road in, yeah, one road out. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, oh, look, just such terrific people and such a, a strong, vibrant community. And so I think despite what happened to them, which was really shocking, like they copped it, you know, arguably worse than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they're trying to rebuild it the way they are and really looking out for each other, I was impressed by that. Yep. Because what can happen after disasters like fire, is that there are certain stages. First, it's kind of shock, you know, shell shock at what's happened. Um, and then there's grief and then there's anger. And, and, and it, can sort of, it can sort of turn bad. People can start fighting over how they want their communities rebuilt. And I don't feel that's happened in Malakuta. I feel like they're really looking out for each other, and that's what impressed me the most. We were there in last February with my mother, who's a big fan of yours, who you've met. Oh, and, good on her. And I my, have met her. And my daughter. Lovely and, woman. Um, and we couldn't believe that already the community meetings that were starting up, and they were rebuilding the steps down to a couple that's of right. surf beaches. And that's right. That, that had already started um, weeks. And taking charge themselves. Yep. I liked that. They, yep. they weren't waiting for anything. Yep. They knew that they would get uh, government assistance and funding, but they, they um, set up their own committee to make sure that the governments, federal and state, knew exactly what they wanted. And, and that how, was smart. How it had to be. Yeah, yeah, they, that was really smart. So Heather, Heather, a gentle segue to book, screen, and food. But a couple yes. of we- a couple of weeks ago, I um, had the delight of interviewing for the Melbourne Press Club a colleague of yours, Michael Rowland, who has uh, put together a wonderful collection of stories from ABC reporters who worked the 2019-2020 yes. bushfires, which I haven't um, read yet, but I'm hearing great things about it. It's a really compelling book, and mm. um, and it. On so many levels, there are lots of things you could talk about and unpack, but we one thing I just wanted to say to you and commend ABC reporters and the ABC generally is the role that the ABC plays at times of national trauma and tragedy and crisis, like the bushfires. Mm. And Michael Rowland's collection of the reporters' stories on the ground uh, really reminds us of how important yep. the ABC is as a link to rural rural Australia, which back roads obviously is a part yeah, of that. That's right. But, I mean, but, we put but out at a times of emergency, like where else do yeah, we go? That's right. That's right. Um, so especially book, That book's called Black Summer, I should say, by Michael Rowland. Yeah. By Michael. I'm going to make, make Michael give me a copy of that when I next see him. <laughs> no, I'll buy one. I'll buy one. But, Go on, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, no, I think it, it, it's great when these books came out. I mean, we, we put out a photographic book, the best photos we've all taken, of back roads, um, of, which is country towns all around Australia. I, I think all of these things also help country communities feel more connected to the city and that people are actually taking notice of them. Um, and paying attention. And I think, yeah, when you do have bushfires, um, it's really important that, that people feel that the ABC is a place of record and trust to go to. I and think that's information the case. on the day. Yeah, exactly. Information on the day. There are, there are odd mistakes. No one's perfect. But but by and large, yeah. um, we do get it right. There's and I very, think that's a wonderful service there's a very that we do compel- provide. There's a very compelling forward by Aisha Buttrose, your chairperson, on, yes. uh, in this book, which I, I would 
recommend every federal politician who is ever on a Senate Estimates Committee involving the ABC that they read that forward. Yeah, um, I get on, sad when it's it's sort of very easy to attack, isn't it? Oh, look, the, at, look at the good things. Well, never here. We're, we don't, don't Shoot the Messenger's a huge fan of the ABC. Now, on <laughs> to um, book screen and food, Heather. And oh. um, thank you, Red Energy, again for uh, your support of this segment and the podcast. What's your book that you would like to talk about today that you've enjoyed perhaps over summer or COVID? I'm not okay. sure. Okay. The book I really enjoyed enjoyed and I was really urged by my daughter to read this and finally got around to it. She's a mad bookworm. Um, and it's called The Eighth Life. Have either of you read it? No. It's really big. It's a very big book. So it's a bit it's, daunting it's looking. It's a huge book. Yes. It, it's a huge book. And I think that sort of made put me off, you know, attacking it, so to speak. But oh, look, I finally did and I just loved it. Um, and it's set in Georgia. Um, as in not American Georgia, but the Russian Georgia, um, written by a woman called Nino Haratikasvili. I think I probably said that wrong, wrongly, but anyway. She um, is of Georgian descent and, and it's basically following, it, it's a dynasty story in a way. It's, it's basically following a Georgian family pre-communism um, through the communist era and, and what happened to everybody? They lost their, their, their wealth and their riches. Uh, some members of the family became devoted to communism. And then later on, but it's all through the eyes of this one family and how they're affected. And it's just compelling reading. Oh, good. I, I couldn't put we it down. We love a saga, don't right. we? I, it's a great saga. Well, and I've talk, always loved Russian sagas for some reason. Fans of the Kazilais here, so we love a good sto- sto- uh, series. And that book cover is particularly beautiful. Cause isn't it beautiful? It, it's sort of yes. folk art, isn't it? A bit? Yeah. yeah. Red yeah. and white or crimson and white cover. That's right. Mm. Um, so I've, I just it's one of my dreams to go and visit Georgia. My son's been there and he, oh, did he, he love it? raved about it. Yeah. Raved about it. Went with a couple of friends and um, there was a great, um, oh, one of the famous TV chefs, I think it was oh, that lovely bloke who um, who died, who took his own life. Oh, oh um, okay. yeah. Um, yes. Um, Anthony Boudin. Anthony Boudin. That's it. Sorry. He went to Georgia. Okay. Yeah. And I think, and I, th- I, I think... I think even um, our absolute, a few of our other favourite. Um, Joanna Lumley. She, th- yes. they had that, she, the highlights it, yes. of that were on the other night. Yes. Um, when she did and, the and Silk Road, wasn't it? Yes, part of the Silk Road and too. she featured Georgia in, in, in part of this. It was revisiting, you know, her favourite sort of areas. And well, it was well, Georgia. Ned, and I thought, I've got to get there one of Ned these said years. said it's so different and it's still so mm. un- unspoiled. And it's yes. one of the few places you can go in the world where you really yes. do feel as though you're away. Yes. Because the food's so different and the people are so All different. of that. And that's what you want. But anyway... Who knows when we'll all be travelling again? And exactly, did, and, Heather. And on screen, did you and Baz hit the Netflix big time during COVID, like everybody else did? Well, we actually we actually read a lot more, but no, no, we did we did. Um, Have you got a favourite screen Netflix. for us? Well, we did love the Queen's Gambit, like everybody else, because it was just so different. Great. Yeah, and, and we stumbled across that actually before it suddenly became the in thing. You know, suddenly you were getting it all on Twitter and everywhere. People were saying, "Tune into this." We'd already watched it. Oh, so you felt very smug. Oh, we felt very <laughs> smug. <laughs> That's great. So that was great. And uh, yeah, just recently on Netflix, we watched The Dig. Oh, um, talked about that a few yeah, weeks ago. Yeah, I really wasn't enjoyed that. Yeah. That, did you know that story about the I Sutton I did not treasure? know that story. No. That's what I loved about it. It was so, you know, fresh and yep. different and part of history that I didn't know and I knew that part of no, the world I, in England. I told Corrie she has to watch it. It's oh, yes. A, it's a lovely story and Ray yes. Fiennes is fantastic in it. He's oh, such yes. a different He's character. Brilliant. He's brilliant. Yeah. And then the other day in terms of movies, we went to see... Um, I'm not a good Catholic, but Corpus Christi. Any good What's Catholic it? would know what that term is. It apparently. looks it looks fantastic. Oh, yeah. Well, 
It's part of the da- British David Film Stratton has said it's one of his favourite stand-up movies of the past 12 months. Oh, Heather, you are just sowing Caro's good books here. You're mentioning <laughs> all her crushes. He's she, my, um, she has a long-standing well, I love well, affair David with Stratton goes David. to Bawley Point once a year, so we Does always he? get to catch up for dinner. Don't tell her that. She'll oh. be hanging around, be hanging around down, the coffee Caro. shop with her autograph book. I already want to go to his pad in the Blue Mountains <laughs> I where he's got the makeshift theatre. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it's wonderful. Brilliant. Every year we get to hear you know, his best movies. So, and... Um, Others in my family had, had loved this movie. It's, a, it's Polish um, and it's without giving too much away. It's sort of about a struggle between holiness and and being a tough criminal. And it's just really interesting. There is so, It's so oh, nuanced. I can, I can and, feel the, well, confe- well, the confession boxes in there somewhere. A few confession boxes in there. Isn't there a, a But it's a got man, so many surprising twists and yes. you sort of left the ending. Just, you left just, what? Well, he, um, arrived, it's a great movie. he arrives in the town and they think he's the priest. They think it? he's the priest. Yeah. And he's got the priest gear. And, oh, yeah. let's go and see it. it yeah. That sounds great. It sounds absolutely brilliant. It's I'll, got a bit of everything. Yeah, no, it's, it's very, very clever. Heather, it's been wonderful to see you. Thank oh, you for coming Can we in. ask her for a recipe just quickly? Oh, okay. If you've oh, got, you got one. a recipe. I don't know if I've got one. Okay, don't worry about the recipe. You can't beat a good Sunday roast. <laughs> I always make those. And I'm good at cocktails. <laughs> what about, have you tried the CWA scones? Oh, I've been making those for years. <laughs> what, what, was, what was your cocktail Taught of the summer? my mother. My cocktail of the summer was I got into pink gin. I've always enjoyed gin. Yep. And there's so many different lovely boutique gins now in every area you go to. So I was trying the local... Um, well, a gin that actually was made, I think, near Jindabyne. Um, lovely pink gin. And you add h- half Prosecco, half lemonade, and lots of fresh mint. Oh. It was yum. That's so yum. Right. It's, amazing. <laughs> summer. it's amazing what you can do with gin. So Isn't many it? uses. You can do anything with gin. Do you, do you find that if you have more than a couple, you become morose and sad? No. Oh, it's such an old wives' tale, that isn't it? Oh, it's rubbish. I know. Well, I've never ever no, had a night at gin all my life. I did well, have a night at a, at a ski lodge, which I've talked about before on the podcast, where we all, we all drank way too much gin and there were a few tears at the end of the night. But but that could I, be anything you drank. Probably. Just or emoting. State of mind you're in, Corrie. <laughs> We, 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 we had depression at the time. We, we've That's all not even funny. I we all love gin. I think, I think it was, you had to be there, state of mind. I don't think it was the gin's fault. No, but, don't blame the gin, please. So, so back roads, Thursday nights on the ABC. If you want to catch up on Cobar, Kyogle, um, Poe's visit to Cooper Pedy, and then I think... Malakuta. Yeah, we've got Best of Back Roads coming up, Adelaide River in the Northern Territory, Tenterfield. Oh. In New South Wales. Now, that's a ripper town. Well worth a visit. I'm just yeah. thinking Peter Allen now. Only yeah. Mm. Oh, of course you do. And the saddlery is still there. Oh, Such a beautiful wonderful. song. Such a beautiful Isn't it? song. Yeah. Congratulations on bringing it back again. I'm really Thank looking you, forward Caro. to seeing yeah. it unfold Thanks, Corey. over the coming weeks. And we well, might months. Get... It's about four months this, this time. Oh. We're combining the summer and winter seasons. Oh, okay. In well, the new time slot. We've always been a Monday night, but we've got Q&A coming straight after us now. So... That seems to be all working well. Oh, fantastic. No, I look forward to that. Well, it deserves to rate brilliantly, and I'm sure it will, because more and more people are falling in love with regional Australia. And you've As taken they should. To, well, it's, well one of, it's one of the positives of, of uh, COVID-19 year, isn't it? Because yeah. we can't travel internationally, yeah. everybody's looking for new well, experiences. Well, you can't get a bed in some places. Well, what's the point of going to Surface Paradise or something like where you can't get a bed? So let's no. go off the beaten and track. And do a good driving trip. Yeah, like, you I can't agree. beat a good driving trip. No, I... I love a road trip. And Heather, yeah. Heather, you you take us to places and towns that we might go through the towns, but you introduce us to some unbelievable people. So thank you for your work and thanks for coming in today. Thanks Great to have you, me. Heather. And what do we say, Caro? Don't treat the messenger, Corrie.
The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly made possible by Red Energy. They're powered by Snowy Hydro and a leader in renewable energy. Call their Melbourne-based team today on 131 806 for real Aussie energy.